Hello, everybody. Or as you guys would know at first, hold up. Hootie hoo. Yes, I decided to get an intro. Yes, and there will be, well, well, I guess I'll spoil it for you, an outro as well. Uh, how you do this, in case you guys don't know, I will turn this down, turn this off in general. Um, if you want to put music on that's not created by you or created by somebody who you know is not going to sue you. Uh, and again, this is for those of us who are not fortunate enough to have famous friends. I, which do not know any, I've met a few athletes in my day, but I do not know anybody musically talented enough that uh, can uh, make beats and, and good vocalage. Vocalage, is that a word? I guess so. If it's not, so be it. It sounds good. Um, anyway, so what you need to do is you got to get royalty-free music. Um, sometimes you got to pay for it where it's like you pay like 20 bucks and then you just pay for the rights to be able to use the song, but you don't have to continue to keep paying for it. Uh, there's a site I got, I think it's called like epidemic, is it epidemics? Something like that. I'll, I'll probably put it in the description if I remember. Um, but it's pretty, uh, it's a good little site where you just get royalty free music or sounds. I actually just... I had this stupid idea, which I'm not going to do it, but I'll, I'll play the sounds for the hell of it. But I had this dumb sound, a uh, couple sounds where I was going to kind of use it as like a transition to go into the, the interview part. And since I do vending machines, hold on. That was going to be to go into the interview. And then coming out of the interview, I was going to play. These are the dumb ideas that make no sense, but they make they made a sense for like like a couple minutes, like I because it's on the board. There's only eight sounds on this board. I'll even play them. So you got, and then you got the two two songs. I don't want to play the outro until we get to that point. Boom. So we got that. We got clapping. Hootie hoo. Of course, we got hootie hoo. <laughs> and that's in case I want to tell a joke. Uh, so I, I put them on the board, obviously, knowing that I was going to use them. Well, once I started to, like, I did like a little trial episode where I just wanted to see what it would sound like doing an intro and then hit those sounds and kind of transitioning to the episode or the interview. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. Um... Before I completely ruin this episode by talking and not bringing it back to the most, you know, a great interview that it became, uh, as I did do the interview already, it's just, I do the intro in front of it. I just don't want to play music and all that shit before they get on and do my hoodie, all that nonsense. I don't want to do it all then and just then try to talk serious. It, I don't know. It's just weird to me. Just something in my head. Maybe I need to get over it. But uh, yeah, so we got an intro now, we got an outro. I don't know if it's good. We'll figure it out. I kind of like it. I don't know why. It kind of. I played with many different songs and so on. I didn't want any words. I kind of like the waves of the the intro because it's kind of relaxing and it just kind of gets you into the beat. And so I don't know. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys do as well. And uh, we're just gonna jump right into our interview. Thanks, guys. Okay, guys, we are back again. Um, 
I said, I think I say all these things and repeat so many times because I don't know what to say when you find new people. And at least with this one, I, I got to know her a little bit and have a real conversation in the beginning. She seems like a nice person and uh, seems like she's really doing some stuff out here. Um, so, yeah, I met her off of uh, Podmatch, which, again, I've said it, it sucks that there's not enough disappeal. Dis- uh, can't speak enough disabled people on there, but I check every so often. There's always new people and uh, she's relatively new to the site from what I gather. Um, so you want to tell us, you know, a little about yourself and your name and all that. Yes, of course. Timothy. So my name is Marsha Moran and I am a stroke survivor <laughs> and I have been a stroke survivor for seven years. I am proud of this because the the object is that I survived rather than died that day. <laughs> right. Is that a is that a label that people say? Like, is it is there a lot of people that won't admit that they're a stroke survivor? Because I mean, usually you don't hear. I mean, you hear it sometimes, but um, you seem like you said you're proud of it. So, is that something that some people are, are afraid to tell people? I'm not sure that they're afraid to tell people, but I think they're sometimes afraid to tell people they've had a stroke. Right. Yeah. I think that's with, with everything. I I interviewed a girl who said she was autistic and, you know, she's very functional, but she said when she put it out to the world and came out and said that she was autistic, it was almost like she came out and said she was gay. Like she told everybody she was autistic and everybody just treated her totally different. It was like she was slow, and even though they knew her for a long time, it was like, oh, you're autistic. It's like, yeah, but I'm functional, and it, it didn't matter. So uh, That sounds so weird to me. It is, but again, you, you, you mean, I guess the average, when you hear autistic, you think of people who are, you know, slower mentality-wise, and right. it, it's, they you know, just think differently. Yeah, again, it's just what the first, if you don't, I mean, I've been around enough people to know the difference, but if you don't think the first thing that kind of rolls off your tongue or the back of your mind when you hear autistic or, or, you know, whatever condition, you usually, you know, like what we were talking about off mic, you know, the first thing you hear when you're like visually impaired or blind, you think of canes or dogs, things like that, even though there's plenty of people with visual impairment who don't have any of that. So, right it's just the first thing you hear. So yeah, when people say you're autistic, it's like, Oh, well, I don't know if you can work here now because you don't think even, even though it makes no sense. So, um, yeah, but that's why I wanted to ask. Cause I didn't know if that was a thing with the stroke community where it's like, is, is, is our people really embarrassed to admit that they had a stroke or not? Sometimes I think they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's some of the stuff we have to kind of cut out. I mean, it's not all our fault. It's not all, other people's fault but it's just it's just i I have loved to watch recently this whole disabled pride month stuff where people are proud to have a disability it's really beautiful because there's a lot of people that are really hiding in the shadows and are afraid to show what they you know what they look like and what they're about and you know and that's you know people like you are gonna help um so what can we let's delve into like the beginning part like why don't you talk about life before your stroke and what was life like for you? So I was a small businesswoman and I ran every other day. 
my husband and I brought my cat up to the lake every weekend, and I like to paint. I like to kayak. For me, it was just a normal life. And then I had my stroke. What was, can you, do you remember everything? I actually do. So it was Sunday morning and I woke up and I felt really odd. I thought, I'm just going to text my friend Rochelle to tell her I won't make breakfast. When I got done with the text, I could not read the screen. It was all gibberish. And I went, this is weird. So I'm going to just text her later. So I put the phone down. I rolled over and bam, I got the worst headache imaginable. And despite the pain, I fell asleep. When I woke up the next time, I knew I was in real trouble because I was paralyzed on the right-hand side. (laughs) Wow. What's that realization like? Uh, Panic. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, so imagine if you wake up and you feel, you can't feel half your body. Yeah. What would you feel? Yeah. Yeah. It's on a smaller level. Um, like I could barely see out of my left eye. It's just like colors and motion. And, you know, yeah. there was one day I woke up and I mean, I, you know, sometimes when you're just in a daze, you just kind of forget everything and you know, whatever. And so I just, I woke up and I was just laying on my right side and I couldn't see out of my left side. And just for like a second, it's just this panic of like, Oh shit. My other eye went to it. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, okay. So I got lucky there, but you know, it, it is amazing when just something is just not right. Yeah. Well, I would be freaked out if I couldn't see. Yeah. I just would. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not fun, but, you know, you can, you yeah. can manage. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, but go ahead. Yeah. So you were, you're, you couldn't feel the right side of your body. You're slowly panicking. So, yeah, slowly. Uh, yeah, Rapidly. I was panicking really hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So I rolled out of bed. And I dragged myself across the carpet till I got to the door, which was closed. And I reached up, and I don't know how many times I reached up because I was kind of stuck down on the floor. But I finally reached up high enough to grab the door, and it swung open. And I took a break because I was so tired. And finally, I had enough gas to start dragging myself down the hall. And halfway down the hall, I couldn't move anymore. I thought, okay, well, at least my husband will come up for soda. I was going to say, are you home alone? No, he was, he was home. He was downstairs. I could hear the TV. Okay. And crash. And I don't know what fell, but something fell down or it sounded like it fell down. And he came upstairs and he looked at me and said, Marsha, are you okay? And that's the time I realized I couldn't talk. So he said, Marcia, can you say anything? And I couldn't. So he dialed 911 and got the paramedics. And um, then he looked around the house to see if he could figure out what would happen to me. He couldn't. So he came back and sat by me. And when the paramedics arrived, one of them said, when did she have the stroke? 
And that was the first time my husband or I thought of the word stroke. Right. You know, we didn't know what, what it was. Right. Have you, I mean, I'm sure you kind of heard of what a stroke was, but you probably had all your own like preconceived notions of what a stroke was and not, it probably wasn't this. Right. So I was only 53 years old. Okay. So I was thinking strokes happened to old people. <laughs> right. I know that's very bad. No. Um, and so, I, yeah, it was, it was a shock. I had normal cholesterol. I ran three or four times a week. I was 130 pounds. So I was normal, you know, right. but healthy. I just, yeah, I just had a stroke. Um, so the paramedics got me ready. They put me in the ambulance. They told my husband to drive safely to the hospital and I lost consciousness. Um, they wouldn't let when him I in the woke, ambulance? No, he, no, he had to drive. Oh. And, um, they were communicating about which hospital to take me to. So we have one that's only four miles away from our house and one that's uh, 10 miles away from our house. And they took me to the one that's 10 miles away because they actually excel at stroke recovery. Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you, I forget, you, you, did you say you were in Maryland or you're in Maryland now? I'm in Maryland now. We actually live in Virginia. Okay. I was going to wonder, I was going to say, cause John Hopkins is in Baltimore, but, um, no. okay. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking about hospitals. <clears throat> um, so, oh yeah, you said, so you, you said you passed out basically yep. on, almost yep. on the way there. Okay. I was, cause I was yep. going to ask you what your, like what your panic level was at that point. But if you're unconscious, <laughs> I guess you can't panic. <laughs> yeah. So when did you finally come to? So I came to, and I was dressed in a hospital gown. I had a needle in my arm, and my husband stood by my bed. So it's sometime during that Sunday, uh, sometime in the afternoon or late afternoon, um, and I looked at him, and I realized I felt okay and went back to sleep. The next time I woke up, it was still Sunday. There was a physical therapist there, and she said, we're going to go for a walk now. Okay. I went, okay. Uh And she put a belt around my waist. She and my husband got me up, and she walked me around the nurse's station. And... I'd say walked. So I had a little movement in my right leg. And it was like clomping, really. But I didn't fall down, mostly because she held me up. And I got back to my bed and I fell asleep immediately. Now, was this an improvement from when you were like kind of dragging yourself to the door at your house? Or was this the same amount of function in your leg? Oh, um, it was better. Okay. It was, it was definitely better. So I, so I had no movement in my right hand side when I was at home. Gotcha. And 
when she got me up to walk, there was some movement in my right side. Not much, but some. Hmm. Oh, okay, well, uh, that's some improvement. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so what ends up happening next? I stayed overnight in the ER because they couldn't find a bed for me and they couldn't find a bed part of the next day. But one finally opened up and they took me to my hospital room and the nurse took me to my bathroom mm. and she got me settled down and then she went out to do the bed. She, and obviously I had a stroke, so I didn't have much movement on the right-hand side, so I fell off the toilet. <laughs> okay. And my husband realized at that point that I needed to have an advocate because there was a nurse in the room, but she wasn't looking at me. She was looking at things around the room, like making my bed. Right. And so, right. So he always made sure at that point that someone was always with me. Yeah, you, are you still with this man? Your oh yeah. Okay. I, I'm because I, I didn't want to ask this next question and just sound stupid. But um, how how does that feel now? Even in hindsight, or even back then, like what it's like to have someone who has like that unconditional love for you and who just like because those are the kind of times you know someone cares about you when they're doing all these extra things. Because I'm sure you saw yeah. the panic in his eyes as much as you saw it in your own. Um, so what is it like to have that kind of support system where you, and I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure you had that realization of like, holy shit, like he, this is a time where someone could run and he didn't. So I had it in my mind that he should run. <laughs> and he said, of course I didn't run because, you know, I made a commitment to you for better, for worse. This was obviously worse, but also he that's the first time I realized how much care people had about me. So it wasn't my husband only, although he loved me a lot, right. but it was my family. It was all these friends that came forward. I think I didn't know how much they cared about me until that point. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have this like really lovey dovey family who's super affectionate or even friends. Um, it's hard to, it, usually those are the times when kind of all their, you know, the boundaries and all the walls are broken down and it's just like you have to show someone unconditional love because they're in such a bad spot. Yeah. And he didn't show how um, distressed he was when he was in the hospital room. Right. He tried to leave that at the door. Well, he has to be strong for you. I mean, they say that about a lot of people who are like in comas and, uh, or just in really bad can maybe on death's door where if somebody goes in the room, they'll say, please don't cry. Don't be negative. Just say nice things. Talk about memories and all that because they don't, even though this is a little, this is not as bad as that, but you know, you don't want to stress the other person out um, because if there is any chance they're going to come out of this coma or whatever they're in, uh, you need to be as positive as possible. Yeah. Well, actually, I had dysphagia, which means that I couldn't swallow or I couldn't swallow well. So they gave me liquids 
Okay. And, and I had to swallow looking forward. I had, no, I'm sorry. I had to take the drink looking forward. I had to swallow when I was looking to my left and then I could look forward again. Hmm. And the, the cafe signed up a meal for me mm-hmm. and I started eating at one time and I choked. Okay. And I don't know how they got it out, but they did. And that's the point where my husband really became afraid because most people who have dysphagia can get pneumonia or they can die. Right. And they don't have this cough sensor. So he could watch me eat and die without having anything that he could do. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's got to be a very scary realization. Yep. How much information did you guys have at that point? Did you, like, once you, when you were starting to eat and then you started choking, uh, how much did you guys know what you had and, you know, what had happened to you? Besides the fact that it was um, a stroke. Well, that's about all we knew. So during my hospital stage, that's all I knew. Now, my husband learned more about it um, day by day. Mm. But in the beginning, he knew nothing as well. So we were clueless. <laughs> right. That's a pretty bad place to start. Yeah. Well, you said that... Um Oh, no, I lost my train of thought. Um, but you, you said you didn't really uh, know, you know, because you were healthy and all that. Like, did they ever tell you what actually caused the stroke or is this, it's just a mystery? So I had a carotid artery dissection and one to two percent of stroke survivors have it. They don't know what caused it. Hmm. So the simple answer, I had a stroke because I had a stroke. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. That's pretty scary. <laughs> right. Especially for um, so, if one to two percent of people have it, then sixty-five hundred to thirteen thousand people have it every year. Wow. Okay. And to me, that's a pretty large number. Now, is there ways to detect that now ahead of time? Like, obviously, you had one. So is there a way to, you know, x-rays or whatever to look inside your body and to know that there, this could happen again? Even not for you, but um, for anybody. You know, that's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. Not that I'm trying to panic you and think you're going to have another one, but it would be good to know how to detect one so you hopefully would never have to have another one. Well, you know, I came to the realization that if I have another one, I have another one, but I don't worry about it. Right. So I could spend a lot of time worrying about it and it doesn't happen or it does happen. But all that time thinking about it beforehand, it, it gets me nothing. Well, that's a very good way of looking at it. I'm, yep. sure, I'm sure it probably took a while to, to get to that point, but. Um, yeah, it, to, yeah. It, it does. No, it's a very healthy way of looking at it because just um, you know, I think a lot of people would would really stress about that, especially the unknownness of it, where it's just it came out of nowhere, and like you said, you're healthy and you're walking, and you're doing all the things that you need to be doing, and I'm sure there'd probably be something you shouldn't been eating or whatever. But in general, 
you were living a pretty healthy life and doing a good thing, you know, doing good for yourself. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, disaster strikes out of nowhere. Right. Um, okay. So talk about, you know, from, from that point on, like your, uh, as far as getting out of the hospital, recovering all that after you, you know, swallowed that meal, what happens next or tried to swallow? So, it? yeah. So I was in the hospital until Thursday of that week. So about five days. Sunday to Thursday. Yeah. And then I went into rehab. So I was in a rehab hospital for two weeks. I was in home health care for six weeks. I had two weeks off and then I had outpatient therapy for about six to eight weeks. Mm. And then my insurance, I'm going to say ran out. So that's all the therapy I was going to get. So I got speech therapy, occupational therapy, and um, physical therapy. And by the end of my recovery. Um, I wasn't really all that recovered. <laughs> right. So I hired a physical therapist and she worked with me for a year. And by the time we were done, you can look at me walking down the street and you'll never know that I had a stroke. Wow. Well, what did the doctor tell you like time frame and what, like, would you fully recover and all that? Because I mean, I know you're going to get into eventually how you learned how to speak and all that again. Uh, and, and you did tell me off mic, but did he tell you that you would ever talk again? Did he ever tell you that your right side would come back? Like what, what was, what was the doctor's like diagnosis and, and, you know, final thoughts on you? So the interesting thing is they didn't say anything positive or negative. Oh, okay. Neutral. Yeah. So they did say I'd have, most of my recovery in the first six months. And I'm going to say that anyone who has had a stroke or any other type of disability, Mm -hmm. you can recover as long as you think you can. Yeah, it's a mental game. Right. And some of your recovery, okay, in the first six months, it is a lot longer curve, you know, if you're thinking about a curve bar, but you can find a really interesting turn of events and you will have a large increase in whatever it is you're doing sometimes by taking, (laughs) you don't, don't laugh at me. I'm, I'm almost laughing at myself, but taking holistic view. Okay. So um, sometimes when you're looking outside the box, you actually find something that works. Yeah, no, I, 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 I understand the, the humor in it, but it's to me, I've always looked at it like whatever gets you through the day, you know, like whatever gets you through whatever you're going through, try mm-hmm. it. Cause sometimes the, the, I mean, the doctors aren't going to give you those type of theories and you have to just kind of put anything together and hope it just works. So, uh, you know, like when I was in the hospital and I was sick and all that, and, and I was in so much pain, I didn't have skin and there's a lot going on with me. One of the things that got me through it was I kind of create, and again, I was four and a half, but I still remember it pretty vividly where I would just kind of, I had all my toys and my, 
my music and, and just whatever else. And like the Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. And I just like made this like invisible made up world around me. And even though I was in pain outside that little bubble, I somehow mentally kind of escaped it. Uh, even though it was this like false world that I was in, uh, it still mm-hmm. got me through my pain. So um, I always say like, whatever works, just go for it. Yep. Exactly. <clears throat> so yeah I mean and that those are things you have to kind of figure out yourself you know we live in the world of right. the internet where there's you know you ask for a supplement that helps your hair grow like you're gonna get a thousand things so it's hard to find the actual things that you need to to learn uh from what you're going through but sometimes it's just trial and error just think of you know do your research and all that but sometimes you just kind of come up with it on the fly and you just try it because if it doesn't work it doesn't work but a lot of these yeah. trials are harmless, so just whatever works for you, just please keep going. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, talk about your, your recovery as far as, uh, you know, your, your exercises and all that. What did you have to do? So I, when I was out of the rehab hospital, I had a physical therapist came, come to the house for six weeks. And when you have home health care, you're not allowed to go outside of the house. <laughs> you mean like so, ever? But ever, except you go to the doctors. They let you do that. But other than that, you, you can't go out of, outside the house. Is that like a trade-off so, to get your bill to be lower? How does that work? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's but, a <laughs> stipulation. It's... Yeah. I believe and you, but yeah, so, it's weird. So, so think about it. Here I am. I'm not cooking. Um, and for six weeks, we had to figure out, no, my husband can't cook. Um, he doesn't really like to. Okay. Um, he probably makes spaghetti and meatballs long, uh, pretty well. Right. <laughs> but how many times a day do you want spaghetti and meatballs, right? Well, if you're Italian, <laughs> you may be, maybe a lot. Maybe you do. Um, so when the home health care was done, I could actually go outside. And I learned how to really walk when we were outside. So going outside for the first time, I had my husband with me and he was holding, I guess he was holding my arm. Mm-hmm. And I had to think about how to move, like pick up your foot, move it forward, set it down, pick up your foot, move it forward, set it down. And that's all I could think about. And I was looking down at the floor or at the ground. And it took a few weeks, but I finally learned how to walk that way without thinking. Yeah. And then, yeah, right. And then the next thing was, okay, you have to move your arm. So I spent a few weeks thinking, forward, back, forward, back, forward, back. And then I didn't have to think about that so much. And then I had to think about, oh, go ahead. No, it's just repetition. Like it's one of those things where it's an, it's an obvious function. You do it with your other foot, but now you're, you've been stuck in this like rut. You've been doing it this way for so long and you haven't had any real function in your leg because I say that because when I was in the hospital and, and before I got to leave, I had, I was in the hospital bed for so long that I had like baby deer legs. So I couldn't really walk. Hi completely so they had to get me on like exercise bikes and all that and 
but it, you, you really, and again, I was so young, so I don't remember all of it, but it is weird that kind of, you, you mean, you walked at one point and now mm-hmm. you can't walk. And it's like, right. I just put my feet on the, I just move my feet, right? Like I normally do, but it's, you don't really, you don't really realize what your brain does because it's like half the stuff is on autopilot. So you just do right. what you know, like, you know, your mind really is telling your feet to move, but you're, you're just not physically actually thinking about it. Cause your mind just, it, 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 those parts are all connected now. Now everything, like the circuits are all plugged in, everything's there. But when those plugs get, uns, you know, you know, when there's a malfunction or something gets unplugged, you got to redo it. And it's kind of like a computer. You got to reboot it all and it may take a minute. And it, it's a, it's a weird thing to kind of learn how to do something that you've done before with ease. And now right. it's like, Oh, I got to try this again. And then you also have another foot that you're doing it normally but now it's yep. you're not dragging or whatever limping or whatever you were doing. So it's um, a tripart a tripartite. So the muscles in the legs have a three movement when they're walking, mm-hmm. and the muscles have been paralyzed at first, and then they have to figure out how they're going to move together. Right. It takes them a long time to figure out that they are moving together. They're part of a system um, and the system is broken. Yeah. You know? Right. Did so uh, during, during not during your, your uh, therapy and exercising were were you getting discouraged some days when they're, when no nerve system and nothing was like getting any better, your nerves were just staying the same and, uh, or was it a quick progress that you start to see some improvement? Like in the beginning, anyway. I would, I would say in the beginning, well, first of all, I don't think I was depressed. So I was in the hospital bed and I thought of, okay, on my first anniversary of the stroke, I want to run a 5K. <laughs> okay. It's a big goal. Yep. Could you do that and, before the stroke? Oh, yes. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. Um, the stroke does not make for good running. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I had a goal, and I thought about what I needed to do to get to the goal. And clearly walking was the first thing. I didn't have a um, negative thought about walking. I just kept thinking about, okay, what do I do to make myself walk a little better tomorrow? Okay. Um, there are some days I didn't feel much like working out, but I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so for... The first days at home, I'd wake up, take a shower, go back to bed, get up, comb my hair, go back to bed, get up, brush my teeth. And, and that is, other than getting up and doing a few things, I that was it for me. Yeah. Could you do this all by yourself? Um, I'd like to say so. Or were you not supposed to and you were doing it anyway? You were just stubborn and trying it. That That's the thing that I'm going to say, yeah. So I wasn't supposed to, like, 
take a shower by myself. And my husband did watch. I wasn't supposed to go to the bathroom by myself. And I think my husband took me in a few times, but I, I beat him off with my cane. <laughs> it's like, get out of here. <laughs> right. We all need our privacy. Um, I got rid of my cane fairly quickly after returning home. Maybe more sooner than I should, but um, yeah. I didn't like the cane. You seem to be like you were fairly certain that you were going to beat this. I, I was. Um, so by the end of my first year, I did not run a 5K. I wasn't ready to run a 5K. Right. So I said, that's fine. I'll run a 5K on my second anniversary. And I didn't get well enough to run my 5K then either. By the third anniversary, I finally realized I was different. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's got to be a little discouraging. Because the fact that you were doing it at all anyway was impressive. The fact that you even wanted to, but to accomplish it the way you wanted to, um, the fact that you couldn't, obviously was something that you could do previously. Uh, yeah, it's got to be very frustrating. Well, okay, so I was running, it was about the second anniversary, and I was running, and I was outside, and the sidewalk was, I'm going to say, crumpled a little bit, mm-hmm. and I stepped on the crumpled part, and I wobbled but didn't fall, and I came down the second time, and then I did fall, and I dislocated my right elbow. And that's the point I decided I was done running. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the interesting thing. Um, I called my husband. He was home. I asked him if he'd take me to the hospital. He said, yes, of course. (laughs) They took me to the hospital and they put me on morphine so they could relocate my elbow. And the interesting thing about that is that when I was on morphine, I could speak clearly. So that's important because I had aphasia and aphasia is a language disorder. So when people talked to me, I understood what they were saying. And sometimes I could say nothing back. Sometimes I could say something back, but it wasn't exactly what I had in my mind that I could say. I could say a few words. Right. But when I was on morphine, I could speak clearly, and I was really proud. <laughs> oh. And then when I went off morphine, I was back to having aphasia. Hmm. Yeah, you have an addiction. <laughs> well, I was told by my husband that I couldn't have any more morphine. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's not good for you. So that's what I was wondering. Right. Um, yeah. But because yeah, I was but, gonna, I was wondering how that changed because how were you really you know conversating with people were you writing stuff on paper or could you get a couple words out so everyone knew what you were saying or what so I could speak sometimes um, so if you said something to me I know exactly what I wanted to say but I couldn't say it so I'd think about smaller words that I could maybe say right and 
that's how I communicated. Hmm. And by August of 2015, I got okay at speaking. Um, I didn't realize, though, that the okay at speaking was just the conversational stuff. If I had to speak at a much deeper level, like um, for a job or interview or anything, I would clam up because I couldn't say those more complex things. So, or sometimes um, my husband would say something and I couldn't speak. And I thought, you know, it's not this important. I just won't bother saying anything. The difficult thing about that is every time that you choose not to say something or every time you have aphasia and you can't say something, mm-hmm. a little piece of you goes away. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be so frustrating to want to yeah. speak and yeah. you, you can't. I'm sure now you probably use every chance you can to just talk someone's head off. That's because you were silenced for so long. Which, how long How long did that go on for? That's so, my, my aphasia went on for three and a half years. Wow. And, yeah, exactly. So I was looking for something that would make my aphasia better or go away. And I found two therapies that I did. The first therapy was um, laser therapy. And it's on my, uh, so a chiropractor did it on my head where I had my stroke. And the laser was an arconia laser. And it got better little by little by little. And then it stopped getting better. Um, So I'd say it got me 40% to 50% better, but I still had aphasia. The next thing I tried was um, neurofeedback. And the neurofeedback happened at three and a half, half years after my stroke. And my doctor had just started doing it and he was having great results. And so he stopped me one day and he said, Marcia, I think you need to look at this. It's this website. Go take a look and see if you want it because I think it would really do you some good. And I went, okay, well, what is neurofeedback? So I went home, I looked it up on the site and (laughs) it was amazing. They said that, 85% 85% of traumatic brain injury survivors who use neurofeedback of this type got better. And I went, holy cow. If there is a chance of me to get better, I'm going to try it, right? Right, yeah. So I went in and said, let's go for it. And so it's about the size of a large smartphone, maybe a little thicker. And there are five leads that come out of it. And he puts what I like to call a cat spit in my hair. So it's wet and sticky and really icky. And it creates a, um, a linkage between your scalp and the electrode, right? And it's 
connected to his computer and he turned it on and started out and I felt nothing. I went, okay, this is interesting. I don't feel anything. But I could see my brainwaves going across his computer monitor. That day, I noticed I could speak a little bit better. Wow, that fast. I had six. It's that fast. Well, he said it would be one to three sessions before he knew if it did anything. So it was that day that I spoke better. I had 16 sessions and it brought my two minds together. The things that I, somebody said something to me, I had a thought in my mind. I couldn't say it. Well, now I can say it. It's like perfect. I could say it perfectly after 16 sessions. Just think about that. So I had, um, speech therapy for um, four or five people did speech therapy for me over time. If I'd had this somewhere in between my speech therapist, I might've not had speech therapy. I might not, I mean, speech therapy is important. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody needs some type of speech therapy, right? But maybe if I'd had it sooner, I wouldn't have needed all the speech therapy. Yeah, possibly. Right. There's no knowing, but, um, but I am so glad that I was treated by this doctor. Yeah, of course. That's, I mean, life-changing. There's no way around it exactly I mean, you went like, three and a half years like that where you're just borderline silent where you can only get a couple words out and um you know as you were telling me off mic about well i mean you can say it but what, what was your i mean one of the first things you said about what you were doing previously before the stroke was working um what was your mindset during those three and a half years Oh, I thought I'd get a job, (laughs) right? Because obviously I couldn't work anymore or work for myself anymore. So at uh, a year and a half after the the stroke, I sent out my resume. I got a couple of companies interested in interviewing me. They called me up. We introduced ourselves. They asked the first questions and I went, uh, there was nothing coming out the first interview, like nothing. The second interview went a little better, but nobody's going to hire somebody they can't talk to. Right. What kind of right. jobs are you trying to Except, get? So one job was writing business plans, which I'd done before. And I actually really liked it. So in the early 90s, I worked for a guy who did 36 business plans. And of those 36, two were unfunded. So he had a really good record. Or we had a really good record. And that's one of the jobs that I applied for. Hmm. Now, do and you, uh, Do you think you could have done this job 
if you could have gotten past the interview? I do, yeah. Okay. Well, my typing was really slow, too, at that point. Oh, right. So maybe I could have thought it. Maybe I could have put it out on the screen. But I would have been a lot slower than I used to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm sure. And that's the thing, you seem like you were a very hopeful person, but realizations have to set, set in, especially with a lot of rejection. Right. And um, I mean, you see that a lot with people with disabilities where you'll, you'll talk to, especially the ones that aren't working, um, some of them don't even want to get out there and even try because of the embarrassment and co- because of the awkward situations that they get put in. Uh, and, and I remember when I was job searching at one point, and I was, I, it was a lot of embarrassing and just, at least at the to- at the time. But there was a lot of moments where it's just I got put in situations I didn't want to be in, and you got to try to be cordial and you know, yuck it up with them. Try to be as nice as you can so you get a job. But there's many moments where you just want to unleash because you're just tired of all the discrimination and all the things that come with it. But um, and then right. and then there's the realization that kicks in of you yourself, like, oh, I just can't do this. Whether it's accurate or not, you know, that's where the mind events to ends up going because you know, especially when you get told no multiple times or rejected or just you know, oh, we'll call you later. You know, we'll call you you know someday you know it's not going to happen because, well, in your case, you can't right. talk. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be very frustrating. So it just told me that I needed to look in other places. So I needed to learn how to talk first, and then I could find a job. Well, I did learn to talk, but now I didn't want to work for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah there's that part yeah sleeping in is nice yeah um one, one thing we did kind of skip over what what is your function in your right side of your body now like as far as movement so so from a movement perspective i'm a hundred percent wow that's awesome from a how it feels, I'm about 95%. So I still have pain in my um, hip, my knee, and my ankle. Um, but it's minimal by this time. Yeah, but that's like, uh, you, you got to take what you get. And you're talking right. about 95 and 100 of those two percentages. That's pretty damn good. Five percent yeah. of achy is is something you can live with. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could just get somebody to figure out how to get rid of the cramping in my right foot, I would be happy <laughs> because my foot cramps all day, every day. Oh, okay. Can you do like yeah. CBD or some sort of pain management type of whatever supplements? Or I mean, there's so many things out there. Have you tried stuff like that? I would like to just try something that gets rid of it. I've heard about about dry needling, but I haven't tried it because I've heard about it after COVID started. Um, But I think after COVID is more or less, I'm not going to say gone because it's never going away. Doesn't seem like it. 
Right. But once it's left, I'll probably try ne- dry needling. And I don't know, or, but I have no idea whether or not it will work, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't know if that procedure would work on you for speaking either. So um, exactly. not to say it would be that effective because it's hard to, to beat that, but you never know. Right. You never know. You never know. Um, so what are you doing with your, your time these days? You know, now you're seven years later and you can speak again. Your body is back to normal for the most part. Uh, what do you do now? So I wrote a book that came out in August of 2019. It's called Stroke Forward. And it's all about how I came back from my own stroke. And that includes the um, neurofeedback. Because I think a lot of people aren't aware that neurofeedback exists. And I think I want to let them know it does. Right. Um, I just re- started recording it as an audiobook, and I hope to have that out this year. And I just started coaching. So, and I'm focusing on stroke and stroke uh, caregivers mm-hmm. because I think that is a group of people that is underserved and they have unique challenges. And I know because I've been there. Yeah. Well, you hear a lot of nightmarish stories when it comes to caregivers. I mean, there's so many great ones, and they're underpaid, and, and they do so much for people. Uh, and it's sad that you hear all these bad stories. Um, yep. And maybe it's just more resor- uh, resources and money needs to go to these people because, you know, when it comes to another adult having to take care of another adult, whether it's bathing them, you know, taking them to the bathroom, teaching them how to walk, uh, any of these things, it's not only is it time consuming and strenuous on the body and, you know, it, it takes a lot of love and care. Uh, yep. like you have to genuinely want to help people to do that job. And of course there's a lot yep. of people that do it just to do it because there's a job opening, but um, right. I'm sure there's a lot of good ones out there that really like in your case, just helped and, and rehabilitate um, yep. humans. Um, is that, is that, um, you were talking about your, your coaching, is that, is that a part of this or is that just, just something you're passionate about? So when I hit my stroke, my, the way I thought about life changed before my stroke, I was a workaholic mm-hmm. after my stroke, family comes first, friends come first, uh, my friends come first and Of course, work is important, but it's not as important. I see this as more of a community. And I look around at the stroke survivors, and this is a community that needs help, needs more help than is given to it. So I hope that because I've had a stroke and how I, I know how it's been for me. I hope I can help people get better. Yeah. Yeah. I've said this so many times, like there's something to 
the people that are perceived to be the broken people are the ones that are always trying to help fix people. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're always the ones that, whether it's people like us, I mean, obviously that's usually where we, we go to first. People that are like us, we want to make sure that they're okay. Cause it's like, look, I get it. I know where you're at and I've been there, but then it's like anybody in our lives, it's friends and, and whoever. And we're just good people to have around because we've been through shit and we've seen the worst and what life can throw at you and you know it's there's something to it where it's just we're always the ones that want to help people and again there's plenty of people who want to help people who don't have disabilities but still it it's a it's a trait that a lot of people with disabilities can tap into um and it's not something you just develop overnight like you either kind or you're not not everybody has that uh it's it's awesome that you you want to do that. Um, So one of the things I like to do towards the end is, you know, there's plenty of people that are going through similar situations that you've been through, uh, whether it's currently or, you know, usually I like to talk to the people that are dealing with it right now, because those are the people that are most, you know, the most as far as suffering wise. Uh, do you have any like advice just kind of how to like how you got through it? Like, do you have any advice to how to just kind of, you know, as you said, it's a, it's a mental thing. So, um, how to kind of keep them moving and not just kind of be susceptible to, you know, the, the mental game and the, the, you know, the dark side of it. Yes. So stress survivors must never give up everything. So it's like you have this forest in front of you and you're working through it for the first time. You chop your way through it. Okay. If you decide not to go through it again, then what's your point? So you have to chop through that forest every single day. And eventually you gain, um, and it's called neuroplasticity. You gain these symptoms or uh, pathways through your brain. And all of a sudden you realize that you can finally do something again. So I could snap my fingers. And, and this was months after the stroke. I was so proud I could snap my fingers. Now it's nothing, nothing, but I was so proud. So don't give up no matter what it is you're trying, no matter how it doesn't feel like you're ne- not never going to get there. Keep going at it every single day for caregivers you have to take care of yourself you have to eat right you have to exercise right you have to go out and have some time alone because if you don't take care of yourself you'll get worn out and you'll not take care of your stroke patient either yeah by the way thank you so much for everything that you do for stroke survivors yeah, they definitely need to hear that. I'm sure there's plenty of days that the job is tough and they don't want to do it. And maybe they look at their pay and go, why am I doing this? Even though yeah. they're doing it for a good reason. It's just sometimes our mind wanders off the path. And, you know, everybody needs to hear that they're doing good when they are doing good. Um, yeah. You know, that's kind of how we're built. That's just human nature. It's it's just good to know that we're doing something sometimes. Yeah, Exactly. Because there's plenty of, you know, no matter how much good you're doing, sometimes it's, 
if you go, you hit a dry spot in your life and, and you know, it's just kind of, even like I, I've said this even with the podcast, there's many times where I'm just like, oh, I know I'm doing good, but what's the point? No one's going to, you know, the people in the community aren't even really supporting it the way they should. And then you get a random email saying, hey, man, like, thank you. Like, just help me. And it's like, okay, that's what I needed. And I shouldn't need that, but it, it just it it just vindicates what I'm doing. And I just know that I'm on the right path because sometimes you're on a path and you ha- you're not, especially if it's like a familiar path and you haven't seen anything that's familiar to you, you're like, shit, am I lost? And then something brings you back. Do you see a landmark? It's the same thing. Right. It's just like you... You know, someone says you're doing something good. It's like, okay, I'm right where I need to be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, just my last question, uh, as you were saying, like, have you been able to, like, now take time to realize, like, how much you've actually been through and, and what you've over overcome and accomplished? Like, is that all I... settled in yet? <laughs> so... My book had been written and had sat in my shelf for a year before I actually realized I had done a book. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's really impressive that somebody who had aphasia is reading their book to have an audiobook made. Think about it. I had aphasia. And 40% of stroke survivors have aphasia, right? Mm-hmm. I can now speak well enough to where I can make my book available on an audiobook. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that kind of speaks volumes and no pun intended, but that kind of almost says, the, that kind of defines the whole journey right there. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's so much more you can say, but the fact that you can do an audio book for people who can't talk and you were one of them right. and now you can speak. Um, right. Because, it, you know, of course, there's the, the typical cheesy like, oh, you got to use your voice for good. Well, in this case, it's very literal. Like you, you're using right. your voice for good and more than just just the words that are coming out. It's just the fact that words are coming out at all. It's just inspiring right. to those people who are struggling with it. And and there's a lot of people that probably don't know about that procedure you had. And it's like one right. person may hear it and go, wow, this is possible. Um, it is possible. And they should know about it. Now it doesn't work for everyone. So 85% of traumatic brain injury survivors are better. Now, Stroke is different, but I think it's close enough to say it's probably good for stroke survivors as well. So people who can get microcurrent neurofeedback should at least try it. It might do nothing. It might do everything. There's The only way you know is if you give it a try. Yeah. Does that fall under like a traumatic brain injury? So traumatic brain injury is a strike from the outside in. Right, I right? know that, right. So a stroke happens from the inside. Okay, right. So it is a little bit different, but I think if you look about or look at what the results are, 
they're close enough to where I think um, you can probably say that it will help a person who deals with a stroke well, or at least aphasia. And that's probably where they started. They're like, you know, I'm sure that's probably what it was originally uh, used for, for people with traumatic brain injuries. And then it's like, well, it, you know, it's still a brain, it's something to do with the brain and it's just kind of the opposite in a way. But um, yeah, it's, there's still parallels there. So I'm sure that's kind of. So it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. So the uh, neurofeedback is really interesting in all the things that it does. Mm -hmm. So ADHD, autism, um, it does a whole lot of things. So anybody who's interested should probably go look and see if it would do them some good. Um, PTSD. Yeah, PBSD. So um, that's one of the things that my doctor told me probably would get better is um, I had PTSD. And it it did. It made me better. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's good that you kind of was persistent and you continue to stay on the journey because there's a lot of, I mean, I've had a lot of, surgeries that didn't really do much and there's a lot of you know locked doors or yeah you just you turn them and they don't open so there's a lot of rejection and and frustration where it it makes you not want to get up for the next one where it's like you hear something it's like well there's this procedure coming out and you're like yeah what's the point it's not gonna work so it's good that you stayed persistent and 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 positive about it uh even if you were a little lyrious and and wondering and probably were even considering like it probably won't work, but the fact that you still tried it anyway, uh, knowing that there's a chance that you'll get rejected and told that this didn't work, um, you know, uh, that's probably what got you to where you are today. Uh, Yeah. Well, you have to be concerned about how life will go in the future. So I'm 25% more likely to get Alzheimer's because I've had a brain injury. Oh, interesting. So, again, you have to look at what things out there will make me less likely to have Alzheimer's. And so those are some things I'm looking at now. Yeah. No, it's very smart. Stay ahead of it as much as you can. That's that's one of the things that we just... We don't know how fragile the body really is until something goes haywire, especially in your case. Something goes haywire out of nowhere. Don't really know exactly the full nature of it and how it happened. But all you know is something went wrong in your body, and here we are now. And yeah, and you, you, you know, I'm sure you're well aware of it. You're not opposed to a second time. Not not necessarily it has to be the same thing, but something else. Um, right. You know, there there is no such thing as, oh, you can't be disabled times two. So, like, you can, you know, or three or four or five. Like, there's so many ways of, you know, freak accidents and all that. But we're just talking about the body just losing its shit and doing something unfamiliar and just 
going crazy for no reason. And it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think, I think most people spend their lives not thinking about disability until it happens to them. And the thing is, it happens to everybody at some point. Yeah. That's one of the things I stress is that I think maybe sometimes people are afraid of us because we are a reminder of how quickly you can become us. You know, you're one car accident away from being paralyzed or, you know, you know, your mom always tells you or your dad tells you don't run with scissors. Well, there's a reason because (laughs) they don't want you to poke your eyes out. Like, and that that is a literal thing that can happen to you. Obviously it's hard for that to happen, but it can happen or, or, you know, sharp objects in general, but you know, like it's not hard for someone to become disabled. Yes. In your case, something crazy happened unforeseen, but there's, there's obvious ways of becoming paralyzed. And, and, you know, unfortunately a lot of people uh, have been susceptible to that, but you know, like I said, it's, you just can't be completely ignorant to what can happen to you. And that's why people just, you know, that's why there's so many people speaking up about even just good dieting and exercise and just being aware of, you know, just staying out of trouble. There's so many ways to kind of avoid certain uh, instances. So, you know, again, like I said, you can't prevent everything, but you got to prevent some. There's some obvious ones and, you know, this whole being disabled thing. It isn't fun, but we make the best of it. And there's a lot of us that thrive and, and survive with it. Um, it's not, you know, at least not for most of us. Not everything is a death sentence. Not everything is your life is over. Um, and again, yep. some people have worse conditions and people are paralyzed from the neck down. And there's people that are really struggling. And, you know, we're two people that are fortunate of being able to, you know, speak, even see some, walk, talk. We can do a lot of you know, there's a lot of movements that we have. There's people that are really struggling and, you know, especially, you know, you got the people who have a lot of the, the, the mental conditions that are really, really struggling. Um, but it, it is, you know, what it is. And it's, you got to try to overcome how you can. You're only, you're dealt the cards you're dealt and you can take that up with whoever you want, your God, your whatever, your parents or, you know, your genetics and all that. Do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, you still got to get up and try to live your life and, you know, I think it's very powerful of all the people that actually are just dealing with so much and they just keep going. Like, yep. I, even though I'm one of those people, I'm just in all of those people. Like I, I, I don't, I never look at myself like that. I, I probably should, but there's people that are going through so much worse. And I just go like, I don't know how you do it, but please keep doing it. Cause it keeps me going. Yep. I know I went to a seminar and there was a woman up there who had a brain, trying to think, was it a brain tumor? And she was talking about how terrible it was. And looking at the slides and everything that she went through, I said, I think I would have given up. Totally would have given up. Yeah. She got more than I can ever think about having. Yeah, and that's the thing. No matter how hellacious your or my story is, like you can combine our stories together, and they're it's horrific. But there's people that have been through worse, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's there's people that just every day a shitstorm is thrown their way. It's something after another. Mm-hmm. They and you know it, it's I you know I don't pray, but it you know I I really just hope nothing but the best for those people because it's like I don't know how they even want to get out of bed or. 
even want to do yeah. anything. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very grateful that I can sit here on my couch and talk into a microphone. And those are two functions that some people cannot do. Um, yeah. And so I try to be great. You know, I'm, I've worked with blind people. I know I have friends that are blind and, and, you know, I, I'm happy that I have a little bit of sight. It's not great. Most people who have perfect sight would hate themselves tomorrow if their eyes woke up like mine. But I know what it's like to be around blind people. And I go, I'm very grateful that I have any, um, even yeah. though the days where I wish I can drive and all that, I, it is what it is. I have my moments. I get over them quickly and I just go, you know, be happy. You can see something. Um, but um, yes, I, I thank you for doing this. You're a very inspiring woman. I'm very grateful to have you on, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed your story. And I'm happy that you've you. been able to overcome all this. And like I said, you're a very powerful woman, and I'm sure this will help some people. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. And uh, like I said to you off mic, I really hope we can keep in touch. Um, Anytime you need anybody to talk to, please. If you just want to show off your talking skills, you can yell at me anytime you want. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, we will. We'll we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Um, yeah, that was that was really fun. I really enjoyed her, and I really like to dig deep into what someone's going through and kind of reenact that time frame. And I know sometimes it's hard for those people to do that, but she was so thorough and that's what I loved about it. Like it really, I, my imagination wanders all the time and I really like to, uh, kind of put myself in her shoes because I, I want to, you know, I'll never know what it's like to be that or I hope not anyway. Um, but it, it's good to, try to imagine what it's like uh and hopefully the, the the listeners can pick on it pick up on it as well because you know it's you don't want to be like us i mean there's certain qualities that we have that are amazing but you don't want to be disabled it's not fun these stories aren't to make it show you that our lives are fun it's just to make it show you how much we overcome and how much we can do so much with so little um and just how amazing people with disabilities really are. And, and and we're not sought after. People don't, you know, we're not really represented in so many different ways. But that's what I'm trying to change as much as I can in my little area here, my little space. Uh, my co-host, Mr. Bullet. Bullet. Oh, I'm sure you heard him there. He's in the window. He was cuddled up next to me, looking all adorable. Uh, he didn't have much to say. He uh, He said I did a good job, so... I'm going to take his word on it. Um, as you guys hear, i trying a little intro-outro thing. Oh, well, I spoiled it. There will be an outro. Um, yeah. And uh, everything mentally, I've been kind of um, a little wiry. I've been, you know, I've been a little moody here and there, you know, PMSing a little bit. Sorry, ladies. Uh, no, I've been a little, you know, once in a while. But I'm uh, definitely in a better place than I was, which is a huge plus because I hate being in a dark space oh boy Whew. not fun um i shouldn't even make light of it because there's a lot of people going through i'm more making light of my pain because that's what i do but for those who are battling it please continue to fight and and lean into those of us 
who can help you get through it, people who have experience with it, uh, or people who are just get, love you and care about you. Please lean into that. Um, I am just trying to be the best person I can be. And uh, yeah, we got an outro song, bitches. Um, so I hope everybody has a good day, good week, weekend, and uh, I will see you guys on next week. Bye.